Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Quick thinking by Allison, and if Salah could lift it, still Salah, Salah! Oh, yes, Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, it's a lovely day, Andrew. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Indeed. We are here talking soccer. Frigid day, but my heart is warm. Warm with the glow of putting your nearest and dearest to the sword. And that's not a reference to the argument me and you had last week. No, people need... Can people relax a little bit? I don't... I, um... Was that the first argument we've ever had on this show? I don't understand what's going on. No, but I think a lot of the newer listeners have not heard us talk like that and some like what some we had a robust argument people some people got upset listening to us and they it, got upset yeah they got upset one guy <laughs> messaged us on instagram like he was Meghan markle and harry Saying I have to step away from the podcast now. Then step away. <laughs> Fine. Like, I'm, I'm not typically somebody who encourages, the Duke of Sussex. encourages people to not listen. Like I want everyone to listen. Like I want you to fight through yeah. things that you find boring. But like I'm sorry. Like part of of sports and talking about sports. Like whether you're doing it professionally or whether you're doing it in a bar with your friends or a basement part of sports is sometimes disagreeing yeah. about things in sports now, and Josie Mourinho is a is a divisive figure it's not surprising when people disagree about him I can't like now I don't want to belabor this because there's so much good Liverpool to talk about but <laughs> two things yeah. most people's reaction was that um when I when I would say oh, they said the bickering it was it was the fighting and I'd say it was just a robust exchange of views and they thought it was more than that they thought it was this uh, no 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 you insulted him a little bit you got a little out of order yourself rest assured we are men and we are still friends though men, we know how to be friends <laughs> so that's it on to liverpool andrew yeah we'll get to that in a sec we're going to talk with uh gab marcotti shortly um can't wait to talk to him yeah i know kind of for just like kind of just like a tour around europe about all kinds of different things that are going on. So I am excited for that because he's well-versed in Gab's mystery much, tour. Yeah, all right. I like it. Pretty much anything you could throw in front of him, he he will be good on. Uh, red card man of the match return. It took a hiatus last week. Uh, yeah, I, I, you've got to stay tuned for that. My red card is dark. It's wild. It's the. It's probably the plot line to a Netflix special. That will come very soon over the next few years about this incident. Interesting. Interesting. Mine is not particularly memorable. I, I, you might even say that it's Dull? extraordinarily fast forwardable. I've had it with Twitter. <laughs> I've had it oh, with Twitter. Oh, the guy, the guy that said he, he, he listens to the podcast, but he listens to it. The He's, content is fast forwardable. Extraordinary. Right. Yeah. Some, that's another guy saying, you know what? There's, then go somewhere else. He's another one. Just then go. You hate the show. Stop tweeting to us. Listen to something else. You clearly hate this podcast. No. So, no, I've, had of, it. I've had it. I've had it. That's it. My New Year's resolution is just to be more upfront with how I feel about people. Get out. Go. Don't do that to me. I can't take it. Uh, yeah, let's get right into the uh, the Liverpool-Manchester United talk because that was probably your um, your game of the weekend in terms of, I don't know, Big club versus big club. Biggest, I mean, it's the biggest the rivalry. rivalry. Yeah, yeah. You put it best on the rundown, though. 
you said it was Liverpool aren't playing against the league anymore, they're playing against history. Correct. And that was so true of yesterday when the when Salah like scored that goal right at the end and the roar was immense and it kind of it was loaded for me because you had Sir Alex Ferguson there watching the game and it was look I, I'm not going to use a term like changing of the guard or anything as twee as that until that trophy is lofted above our heads but it was it was stark, the contrast between the two sides. And, and Fergie's stated aim when he came into the 1980s was to knock Liverpool off their effing perch. Mm-hmm. And now it's come full circle. They were off the perch and they're very much back up on it now. Yeah, the, the gap that has opened up now in terms of from Liverpool to City, from first to second, th- this 16-point gap, I've been trying to kind of like wrap my mind around that kind of dominance. And it's not, it's not crazy. Manchester City were only a couple years removed from kind of a similar title run for them mm. where they weren't really pushed from what like January on sort of like right. we were seeing except Liverpool's I would I would argue it was probably more like November on um, but maybe I was early to the party on that I think it's been borne out but here's the thing and if you want to put it in the proper perspective so a 16 point gap from first to second JJ that's the same gap 16 points from Wolves or I'm sorry from Sheffield United in seventh to Norwich who are bottom yeah it's it's huge. It's it's just enormous. Uh, first to second is the same as seventh to twentieth. <laughs> this is this is next level, and you know, there. I think it's a combination of a couple things, and we did talk about it a little bit a couple weeks ago from uh, a tweet that we got of somebody who was kind of I wouldn't say necessarily looking to demean Liverpool, but oh, the demeaning has begun. But but, but uh, yeah, here's the thing. Like I, I truly truly believe that two things can be true simultaneously, and we're living it right now, where uh, I I think Liverpool are not just great, but I think they're great on a historic level. And I think that's happening at the same time that the league is in some kind of weird transition, where normal contenders are in that kind of like transition period where they're just, you know, City have come out of their run and now maybe need to freshen up their squad a little bit. Maybe Pep's message is, is growing stale. Chelsea are at the front edge of their rebuild. Um, United are just a mess. Mm. Spurs are at the end of the line of whatever successful run they were on. Arsenal also kind of a mess. Like, you know, so both of these things are happening at once. It doesn't lessen what Liverpool is doing in my mind because I think, like, they just won the Champions League after having gotten to a Champions League final the year before. They have validated their greatness in my mind. Mm. This is not just about the league being crap behind them. But that is also true. And when the league was good, they were in lockstep with Man City last season. It was only a splattering of draws that really kind of curbed their their ambition. And that's continued this season. Whereas every time you think that where City should win a game at home to Crystal Palace, where Leicester should win a game against Oh, we'll against get to it. Burnley, this weekend was ridiculous. You're definitely right. That That is playing such a part of it. Liverpool can go in relaxed into these games in a way that a, a, if there was a title race, they wouldn't be able to. 16 points is just I, I do huge. think you've hit on something there, though, when you say that. Like, I, I actually think that's what makes this Liverpool team so great is that they don't go into any game relaxed. No, they, they go into every game. Like, you have to believe... When Jurgen Klopp says they are treating it one step, each game is like a cup final. They go into it with the same intent. It's absolutely true. And um, if anything, if I'm to pick one tiny negative from yesterday, we saw that kind of fatigue 
happened to Liverpool a little bit and United got a few chances towards the end. I mean, if anything, Jurgen Klopp was upset at the way that Liverpool hadn't taken their chances. You had Salah flubbing one, you had Henderson hitting the post, you had ruled out goals, you had all well, those things. Well, that's the thing. The chances I think he that they want- did take were... He wanted it wrapped up way before, yeah. and it should have been. The game could have been 8-2, eight, 8-1, eight, eight, like 9-something. Like United definitely probably should have scored, but then other teams have probably sh- should probably have scored at Anfield too, but they haven't. Yeah, I mean, look, Wijnaldum was, was fractionally offside, but he was offside. Van Dyke's goal, or not goal, Van Dyke's interference with De Gea, which led to the Firmino goal, that was ruled out through VAR, which I, I actually thought was the right decision. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised... I've heard a lot of people say, you know, they were like, ah, the Van Dyke goal, he's challenging for the ball, what's the issue? And I'm like, where have you been for 25 years? Yeah, I Those saw... decisions never go the way. We, what is the one of the, the most used phrases? Oh, goalkeepers, they're a protected species. I've been hearing that since I started watching football. Now, if you want to change that, I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation about that because I think De Gea drops the ball. And I think he's not under inordinate pressure, and I'm not even sure it's a foul. But you're never getting that. You're, I was surprised to see your rabbi, uh, David Priest, on Twitter mm. afterwards. Straight away said, not a foul. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, because you're right. We've been watching games for a long time. A hundred times out of a hundred, it's called a foul. Uh, you can say that it's soft, but a player jumping into a goalkeeper as he's attempting to catch a ball is just ruled a foul. It's just where the game is at now. Oh. So I, I thought it... I don't know, I thought it was the right call. When it wasn't ruled, I went into uh, bitter Liverpool mode. Like, oh, of course it would be them. Of course they would be the ones to benefit. You started then I, typing out Liverpool like I, some but absolute then I remember, weirdo. We remembered that we live in a VAR world and justice, justice would be served. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to talk about somebody in particular from this game. And we acknowledge his greatness a lot, but maybe even not as much as we should. Because we've been talking about Liverpool this year. And, you know, we talk about Mane. Really, we talk about uh, the fullbacks. But in the end, I really, truly believe that the face of this team, that this is Virgil van Dyke's team. And, you know, we see it in so many ways. And I feel like maybe we take it for granted more than we should. We, I, know, we know what he is defensively. Just like I was looking at his stats from this game, which you could take these stats and apply to any number of games for him. 100% aerial duels, 100% tackles won. He scored a goal, obviously. Um, but the thing that we don't give him like the credit that he should receive for, we talk about the passes that Robertson and Alexander-Arnold ping. I don't, think, I don't know if anyone in the world does it better than Virgil van Dyke. The three best passers on this team are all defenders. It's why this team is as good as they are. They go from defense to attack in the blink of an eye. His pass completion accuracy yesterday was 88%, which is astounding when you think of how many long balls he plays. Right. He was 4 of 11 on long ball accuracy. Like NBC Sports, after the game, they did a great job of highlighting specifically that, just showing these balls that he plays from 70 yards. It's unbelievable. They're joyous to watch. He, he gets on the ball, he looks up, he sees if there's a pass left or right, and then he rakes this exercise missile of a pass. It's... <laughs> Exercise missile. That's too too um, aggressive a term. It's very dramatic. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It's something more something more beautiful. There's much more grace to his passing than the than the brute force of of the U.S. military. Sorry, um, it's 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 amazing the way he strikes the ball. It's amazing his accuracy. And I just wondered yesterday. He played one pass, and I thought, what would this team be without him? 
where would this team be? The way he steps into midfield to initiate the plays. He's like, he can do all the down and dirty, gritty stuff of a defender and he can do all the, the, the beautiful, graceful passing of a centre midfielder. He's got everything. And I, I thought back to that period when we were in a race with Manchester City, the end of 2017, for his signature. What if that goes the other way? Where are we? And look at City right now. You know, I, I, City would kill for someone like him. He's, he's just he's just amazing. I I really I really think that he could play centre midfield in in a different formation obviously in a different style of team. He could play there. His range of passing's there. He's, yeah, you're probably right. He I don't know how many centre midfielders of his size. Like <laughs> y- there's Yaya Torre. Yeah. Um, he would stand out. He would. He would stand say. out. Uh, and look, his recovery speed, his positioning. He also manages the team in a very kind of. <laughs> the centre back is usually a shouter, squeeze, squeeze, press, all that thing. He kind of commands things. He does that, but it's in a very. I don't know. He's almost upset. Oh, you're bothering me with this stuff. It's just nonchalant. Mm-hmm. He's he's amazing. Yeah, he's. He is the perfect player. I don't care what they spent on him. It's it's like the bargain of the league but right it's, now. It's like we had a problem at centre-back, and we addressed it by getting an all-time centre-back. Well, that's the thing, and that will lead us in nicely to the Manchester United side of this. You look at Liverpool, and they had clear, identifiable weaknesses that were holding them back from taking the next step. I don't know that we knew the step was going to be from what they were somewhere in like the, you know, they were hovering around fifth, fourth, somewhere in there. You know, I don't know that we knew it would take them to historic levels, but we knew goalkeeper and center defend, central defender were holding them back from whatever ambition they were going to achieve. Yeah. And they went out and they got the two best available. And look what it's done to them. And then conversely, look at the team they're playing yesterday in Manchester United who have gone out, they spent 89 million pounds on Pogba, 75 million on Lukaku, um, Alexis Sanchez, I don't remember what, what he cost on the transfer market, but I know they gave him wages that were roughly, he was netting 14 million a year after taxes, I think. 70 grand as well on top of that for every appearance. Like, there's there's spending money for the sake of spending money, and then there's money well spent. And I think these two teams... You can't help like like look at Liverpool's midfield yesterday. Wijnaldum, Henderson, and Oxlade Chamberlain. Did any of those signings turn heads? Remember what I said on this podcast when we signed Wijnaldum. Right. I was like, what a meh signing. But Andrew, there was a plan. He fitted a profile. He runs. He can go box to box. He can dribble. He's quite successful driving forward with the ball, and he's strong. Yeah. And then like you look at Oxlade Chamberlain, and they're not asking him to be an attack minded player necessarily. He's supposed to be a scrappy guy in the middle of the park who will win the ball back. And he did it time and time again. You know, so like like you said, Klopp has a plan for these guys. Uh and they go out and buy players that fit that plan. And with United, it just feels over the, since, really since Ferguson left, it just feels so helter skelter. And they're kind of just like reaping the, the rewards or lack thereof of that now. Yeah. They've left them in, themselves in a position after all that spending that you listed that Anthony Martial is really their senior striker that remains now. You've got Mason Greenwood. Rashford has been playing through pain and now it's just too much and has to have surgery and is out for three or four months. How is this? How have they allowed things to to get so far? I mean, how have they allowed Lukaku to go? I know there was the falling out, and I know Lukaku wanted out. He didn't 
feel the club. He wasn't playing well, though. That's the thing. I know, but you can't. Like there had, to, there was no plan in place apart from promoting a youth player to really bolster that attack. Um, and now they're locked into this thing that they they seemingly always get locked into every transfer window. Now they are trying to get Bruno Fernandez. It's stalling. It's turned into another saga. Yeah. And they're going to end up overpaying for a guy that, honestly, Andrew, is untested at that level. He had a brief period in Italy and ended up back in Portugal. So we don't know that much about him. This, again, what you said, scattergun. Yeah, uh, apparently that the Bruno Fernandes deal, as of now, um, has stalled out. And 80 million euros is the asking price. And United are hesitant to pay that for, I guess, many of the reasons that you just said there. But I'm at a point now with United where... Even if they go and get him, United fans, they'll celebrate it and they'll be happy. Okay, more power to you. Uh, but that club, I don't care. They could buy Messi right now. And they have lost the benefit of the doubt in my mind uh, in ter- when it comes to the transfer market and how they're spending their money. I saw Gary Neville. Uh, he was talking about this on a podcast. He said, I can't believe with the investment that has been put into the squad over the last five, six years, you end up with that out on the pitch. I can't change the ownership of Manchester United. No one can. But I'm struggling to understand why the ownership has persisted in trusting that management team to oversee that investment. It's also coaching, Andrew. Jurgen Klopp did not inherit a squad that was made to measure for him. And yet we see contributions from players who survived the Rodgers era, like Adam Lallana. He's got Roberto Firmino playing in that kind of centre-forward slash creative role. Mm -hmm. You know, it is coaching. And the question that's now being asked... And it's been asked on Sky Sports yesterday. It ended up in a bit of an argument between Keane, uh, Roy Keane and Jamie Carrer. Is, is, does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have the requisite tools to be Manchester United manager? Should he be Manchester United manager any further? And also, in my view, should he be part of, of the transfer policy at the club? Should he be guiding it? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree because they do feel week to week like you don't really know what you're going to get with them right now they're you know Wambasaka looks like he's a good player um I think Daniel James in the beginning of the season looked like a good player since then he's kind of I feel like he goes missing from time to time mm. Harry Maguire I don't the jury's out there's weeks when I think okay this is you know he he looks like England center back there's other weeks where he's he's overmatched um so, the yeah, midfield I, is a wasteland, but the midfield is not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's midfield. It's a midfield of bits and pieces spanning the uh, the Jose Mourinho era. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I do wonder about with United, look, we've been praising Chelsea a lot this year for seeing what they have within their own ranks rather than needing to always have feel like they have. Now, for them, it wasn't by choice. They weren't allowed to go out and spend. But, you know, Chelsea traditionally are big spenders, and now they're saying, okay, we're going to take a different approach, and we're going to see what Mount and Abraham and Hudson-Odoi and players like that are. Um, you know, so maybe we should treat United in the same way. Like, we're saying, you know, we're, we're mocking some of their big-name signings that haven't worked out, but by, but it, by the same token, we're saying, well, all they had up in reserves after letting Lukaku go was, you know, Mason Greenwood. Well, maybe that's what they no, should be well, doing no, I'm not saying I'm not saying all they had, but, like, Mason Greenwood's come in and done really well and is showing the, p- the potential and the talent that gets him talked about on the Stretford end by other fans who get, you know, they're excited about this guy. But it's still a gamble, Andrew. This yeah. is this is not, this would not be your preferred way to go. And it's been great that Rashford's been able to chip in with so many goals and Greenwood and Martial to a, to a lesser extent. Um, but, you know, Rashford's gone now. Martial... Yeah. 
slamming volleys into the Anfield Road end when he should have really equalised. Yeah. That's that's a problem, and um, I don't know. I don't know what they do, and I don't think Bruno Fernandes is going to solve anything, even if he does come. Roy Keane made the argument on Sky Sports, as I was alluding to earlier, that we're viewing Ali in an unfair lens, and that he should have more time. Give the man a chance. I watched Chelsea last night. Chelsea, decent team. They couldn't get the job done. Frank Lampard's lost eight games. But for some reason, hey, Frank's doing all right. Frank, maybe because he's English. I don't know. Frank's track record, CV, went to Derby, didn't get promoted. But Frank's, Frank's got all the answers uh, for Chelsea. He hasn't. But you but also, give him time. Yeah, I'd say yeah, give the man time. I, I completely agree. It's nothing to do with Ollie and all this carry-on. Uh, give him a time. And the three previous managers before Ollie, are you telling me they don't know what the game is about, Jamie? They know what the game is about. David Moyes is given a six-year uh, six contract. Alex Ferguson on the pitch going, so you'd have kept get behind all. the manager, back him. Would you have I would have given him a bit Moyes? more time. Not, eight, you months. Given the six years Not eight months, and I wouldn't have sacked him on Twitter. Civil. I wouldn't yeah. have given him eight months. Are you telling me deserve, David Moyes doesn't deserve more than eight months? I think he did, yeah. yeah. Oh, he deserves, absolutely. So you still have him there in the job? Uh, okay, well, how long would you give Oli? How long would you give Oli? I'd give Oli certainly another year. 100%. Another year. So, <laughs> there's friend of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which it should be noted, they were teammates, they got on pretty well, um, defending Ole, not really answering Jamie Carragher's question of what's wrong with United, but certainly, um, I guess, backing him for no, another year. But even though he's friends with Solskjaer, it's, I still get his point. I think the thing that is confusing to people is that it just seems odd that this is now the time when they decide to give the manager extra room and leeway you know like more accomplished managers than him like Moyes and Van Hall and Mourinho who you know like they they were kind of given the sack pretty quickly Moyes especially yeah um, I mean it was, a, now, it was a bad performance at Anfield over a year ago last December 2018 that that done for Jose Mourinho at United and yet we see no improvement and there's also, and Gary Neville does say it a lot, we should realise Ed Woodward is committed to what he sees as a project with Solskjaer. Yeah. And that's the young players coming in, uh, veteran players being bought to augment the team and letting Ollie kind of revive the side. So there's a plan there, but whether, whether it's a functioning plan that's going to work is another question. Yeah, there's also, um, there's also the other thing here, and that is, remember the Chris Rock stand-up bit where he says, a man is only as faithful as his options? Mm. Um, some of that I feel like can apply here as well, in that you know, a club, Ed Woodward, the board, whoever, are only as faithful as their options. Maybe no one's out there right now that is of particular interest to them, so they're not just going to make a move just for move's sake. Let's l- give Solskjaer more time. Maybe he'll reconvince us. But if you know, if someone became available suddenly that open their eyes, he'd be gone. I, I really, I think that's still the way they'd operate. You know, we, we hear about Pochettino, but this clause in his contract that makes it, you know, kind of unable for United to pry him away uh, or to get him at this moment. You think Pochettino be in already? Yeah, I think, I kind of do. Mm. Um, and I think maybe they're just waiting until, you know, that clause opens up and they're allowed to do it without having to pay him extra money or whatever it is. So, you know, I, I kind of view it a little bit like that. Um, but I do get I get Roy Keane's point, and I, I think that like ultimately he's right. We always say stability is important, uh, and allowing your plan to take hold and bringing in your players who will buy into that plan and flushing out the ones who won't. Um, but I just still ultimately I just don't think that's what United are about. Do you know what Roy Keane's portent of doom prior to the game was? What 
he saw Luke Shaw wearing a hat and he didn't like it. Look at them wearing their silly hats, he said. He is... Luke Shaw had one incredible touch in this. Uh, in he that did. Game. Otherwise, I think Salah was in. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. What was the hat? I didn't see it. He wore a war- It's freezing. He wore a oh, hat just like the- a regular winter hat, like a beanie with Manchester United. I'm written picturing on it. him walking in with like a top hat and cane. No monocle. No, no this was on the field in the warm up. <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant like coming off the bus or something. Yeah, twirling a cane. <laughs> yeah, Keane is his uh, his issues with certain things. He is not for the modern game. No, no, he's really not. He's really not. I'll tell you what, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about this and all kinds of other things from around Europe right now. We bring in from ESPN FC, Gab Marcotti on the program now. Gab, what's up? How are you? All good, boys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, we're, we're thrilled you're able to come on the show. Um, JJ and I were just talking a little bit about the uh, the game in England over the weekend between Liverpool and Manchester United. One thing we kind of touched on, we didn't go too deep on, I wanted to ask you about it, Liverpool. Uh I think we all knew in watching this team over the last, I'd say, two years or so that you know they were capable of winning a title. We've seen what they've done in Europe. But did we know that they were capable of like making history in the way that they are? Are you surprised by this level of just like utter dominance? Uh, yeah, I, I am. Um, I mean, I think there's two things that, that really stand out to me. One is that um, and then, look, we don't want to get carried away with the Champions League win last year because, as any Napoli fan will tell you, you know, they were one save going out in the group stage. But I think this season they've kind of gone to to a different level. And what what strikes me is even great dominant teams have periods where they don't play well and they kind of, you know, figure out a way to win. And I think that's been the case with, with Liverpool this season. But what really blew me away was seeing them this weekend where, you know, you're playing United at home. There's no Rashford. You know you're going to win. You would think that this is a game that's, I know, hey, I know it's United and everything, but, you know, maybe you play within yourself a little bit. You know, you're coming from um, a period where you played a lot of games over the over the holiday period and whatever, and, you know, you, you would imagine their workloads and training have gotten um, have gotten heavier, you know, with a view to, to, to kind of finishing strong in the Champions League and whatever. And instead, they go out there and, in my view, absolutely flatten them. And that that's hugely impressive. The other thing that's you know taking a step back on a broader scale that's just more impressive that's incredibly impressive about the work that Klopp and his people have done is you know let me ask you guys. How many Liverpool players joined the club as bona fide superstars? In my view, you're talking Allison and maybe Van Dyke, but Van Dyke was still a guy who could got a lot of money, but he's still a dude who's coming from Southampton. And I think the fact that most of those guys are superstars today says speaks to the fact that he's uh, you know he's improved them, and they've all improved, and 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 that's that's pretty remarkable. And I'm sorry, I know I just answered my own question. Go ahead if there's somebody else you think joined as a superstar. But there isn't, really. And what what I find interesting, Gab, is that he's taken players like, say, for example, the fact that Adam Lallana is still hanging around and, and contributing to the team when he does, coming off the bench, the first substitute yesterday. That's a, that's a real uh, mark for Klopp in terms of, of his man, man-to-man coaching. No question. And the way you keep him around and you keep him interested, even though he knows his contract is winding down, um, it's, it's it's tremendous. I mean, look, there's a whole bunch you can name. I mean, look, I know Liverpool fans might get angry at me for this, but, but Gini Wijnaldum 
you know, was kind of the middling guy at a middling team like Newcastle, who had a little bit about him, but was kind of up and down and slightly chaotic. And, you know, admittedly, the team was a zoo coaching-wise. And, and look at him now. You know, Oxley Chamberlain was, you know, was on his way to being Theo Walcott, you know, only more injured. And then come back and he's reinvented as a central midfielder. You know, Fabinho was sometime right back, sometimes defensive midfielder, essentially a hacker who'd get caught out of position at Monaco. You know, Robertson, you know, nobody believed in him, you know, yeah. when he was 19 or 20 years old. Alexander Arnold's from the youth team. Gomez is from Charlton. Uh, you know, the, the Lovren looked up to be on, on the scrap heap. You know, Matip was, was at Schalke and was a midfielder. Yeah, I mean, the list just goes on and on. And, you know, it's, it, it, is, it is remarkable what they've done. And I think, you know, you can only tip your hat to them. One final question on Liverpool, Gab. Have you ever seen in another team a midfield quite like that? Because it's not like there's no brilliant kind of, you know, holding midfielder who sets tempo. I know Fabinho does to an extent, but it's it's very much a, a power-driven midfield that wins the ball back. Turnovers are a very creative part of, of how Liverpool operate. Have you ever seen him? Because I've never, I'd never thought that Liverpool would be in this position with, for example, Henderson, Oxlade Chamberlain, and Genie Wijnaldum being part of it. Have you, can, can you compare this midfield to any other that you've seen in the past? I don't know what you mean. Um, I mean, I think, I think in certain games, I don't know that you can get away with that consistently. And I think that's where Fabinho becomes more important mm. when, when he's fit. Um, I would, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, you look back even, you know, in his first Borussia Dortmund team, you know, he had Nuri Shaheen in there who, you know, was sort of a thinking midfielder and a passer and whatever, and in a way that some of these other guys perhaps aren't. The only ones I can think of, of, of midfields like that, normally they had sort of a number 10 or somebody between the lines right. further up the pitch, uh, which I guess some people might say that's Firmino. Um, but, of course, he's also moonlighting as a center forward. Um, but you're right, he's kind of redefined it, where, where so much of the assists and the creativity in the last pass comes from, from the two fullbacks. Um, and, and then that's, that's remarkable. Uh, Gab, moving around Europe a little bit, I, I know you wrote about what went on at Borussia Dortmund over the weekend with regards to Erling Haaland. We'll get to him in a sec, but I wanted to ask you first about Gio Reyna, just because I know our audience and us in particular are, are very interested in him. 17-year-old American makes his Bundesliga debut. Uh, just generally speaking, like, what is some of the buzz you're hearing about him maybe both leading up to and after that first match? I mean, I think obviously locally, he was entirely overshadowed by the Norwegian beast, right? Which is inevitable when you get a hat trick. Um, what what I saw was was a guy who's I think he's obviously been really well coached and he's very smart um, in in some of his decision making. I found at one point um, he kind of got pushed and kind of accentuated, sort of took like a half dive. Um, can't imagine his dad, who I recall as a skillful but pretty tough player, doing that too often. Um, but no, like I think it, it bodes well. I, on, on on our podcast on the Gab and Jules show, we had Janaga Fjordhoft on the, the you know, Norwegian former striker who knows um, knows Dortmund really well, knows the Bundesliga well, and knows the Holland family. And we kind of traced a parallel between Holland and um, uh, and Reina in the sense that when your dad is a professional football, was a top top professional footballer. Um, as was the case with both of those guys, 
uh, it's a bit of a game changer in the way you develop as a young player because you have many more options open to you. You know, you first of all, like both these guys grew up, you know, financially comfortable, which meant that they didn't have to rush into their into decisions. They didn't have to say, "Oh my God, I need to." You know, take care of, of mom and dad and buy them a house or whatever. And on top of that, you you know through your networks, you know everybody. You can you can walk up to any club in the world, and you know you can talk to them. You can really evaluate, think about who you want to represent you, and you can make the right choices at the right time for you. And you know that's a luxury that that Wayne and Holland um, that, that that these guys both enjoy. And you know, and you can tell there's just a different. There's a different vibe to them um, in, in, in the way they play and, and, and in the path that you know their young careers have taken. Gab, you've seen Michael Owen come through. You've seen Ronaldo the first come through. You've seen the phenoms come through over the last 20 years or so. Where would you place Holland in this? What's your read on him? How good can he be? So what strikes you about, um, about Holland is also the guy can move. You know, I remember watching... A very young Ibrahimovic at, um, at Ajax, and you know, great athlete, very strong, great feet. But man, he couldn't move the way Holland moves. You know, you saw that in um, in those two goals that that he scores. The way he just kind of accelerates away from the de- from the defense. So obviously, he's a bigger guy. So it's not going to be about the first step. It's going to be more about over twenty five, thirty yards. But you kind of ask yourself. Who's going to catch him? You know, mm-hmm. um, so that's all very exciting. The one thing I would say, and I'm sure it's something that his agent and his dad and the club hopefully are thinking about. He's not in a position where I think he can start every game. You know, he was carrying a knock in this game. Mm-hmm. It's important to be allowed. He be allowed to grow and grow into the role. And my one fear would be Borussia Dortmund are fourth in the Bundesliga. Their level with Schalke. They've got Bayer Leverkusen behind. There's a lot of pressure on them and on Lucien Favre. Of course, nearly got fired in November um, to to deliver results. The worst thing that could happen is that they ride this guy now, you know, at age 19, if he's not fully fit, um, if he's not ready. So I think they need to be patient with him as well. Uh, Gab, moving to Barcelona, new manager, Kike Setien. Uh, kind of a two-pronged question here. Was it time, in fact, to move on from Valverde? And also, what changes should we expect now with this new manager in place? It was time to move on. I mean, look, if you ask me, it was time to move on from Valverde two years ago when, after that, that defeat against Roma, um, when he completely misread the game. I mean, completely. Yeah. And didn't realize what was going on. Uh, and then, of course, the same thing happens again against Liverpool. Uh, and he, he didn't get rid of, he didn't move past that whole, you know, messy dependency that afflicts the club. You know, is he the only guy responsible? No. But is he the easiest guy to replace? Yes. And I think with coaches, we, we, we should only think in terms of, can I get somebody in who can do a better job? Rather than, you know, oh, did he deserve it? Is it really his fault? Let's give him more time. This is the wrong way to look at it. Uh, what's curious about Kika Setien is, you know, um, and I wrote this in, in my, my music column for the website, was... A lot of guys are like, oh, my God, isn't it great? Look, it's the Barcelona of old. It looks like early, early, you know, Pep Guardiola Barca, where I think they had 82.8% uh, possession or something stupid like that against uh, against Granada. Um, you know, it's, it's just a lot of passing and movement and flying the hole. I, 
the one thing I would point out, though, is that, you know, guys, not even Guardiola plays like that anymore. You know, football's kind of moved on from that. You know, you need to add another layer to it. Um, but I think Setien knows this. You know, it's not like he's a guy who's come out of nowhere. He's been managing for 20-odd years. He has a very distinct style. Um, it, it overlaps a lot with sort of this idealized Barcelona possession style, but there's also an element of high press and physicality to it, which is why Lionel Messi, you know, played centrally rather than out wide so that he wouldn't have to run as much. Um, so, I don't know. Let's let's judge him when when Frankie de Jong is back in the middle of the park, when he's had a few more training sessions under his belt, and, and, and let's see what he can do. But, you know, if, if you believe part of the club, part, you know, part of the responsibility of the club is also to cater to the fans and you're willing to look, you know, and you don't just judge based on results, um, then, yeah, it was definitely time to to move on from um, uh, from Valverde. What would scare the life out of me is this, is the fact that, you know, I, I get that they went for Xavi, but Ronald Koeman was apparently the other candidate because he has Barcelona DNA, supposedly, which leads me to think nobody at Barcelona... Um, saw his Everton team play, uh, or indeed his Southampton team play. And, you know, Setien certainly, I think, fits. If that's what you want to do, Setien certainly fits it more than most. But, you know, you are going to take risks and you are going to concede stupid goals along the way because that is the price you pay. And, and that was the case even for, for, for Pep 10 years ago when he was when he was playing like that. Gab, uh, I want to switch gears and move to Italy. Um so, Napoli, they lost at the weekend, they lost to Fiorentina 2-0, and, well, I guess the owner got what he wanted, uh, Gattuso has decided to send the team on Retiro, um, which was a theme uh, under Carlo Ancelotti as well, one that Ancelotti didn't seem to be very enthusiastic about. Um, first, Gab, if you could explain exactly what Retiro is, like I'm a Roman Catholic and every year my mom would go to Loch Derg for a pilgrimage and she would eat dry bread and, 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 and cold tea and she would walk around the lake saying prayers. Um, is, does this come from some kind of uh, religious tradition? And it made her a better person, right? Oh, absolutely. And she always wanted me to go on Retiro with her, but I, I never did. <laughs> she called it that? Uh, she did. She did. She was ahead of her time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it basically literally means retreat, right? So the I, this is an idea that goes back to, to to the 50s and 60s. And it's the idea that normally you do it, it, it used to be you did it before a big game. You kind of sequester yourself away for, for three or four days. You're in a hotel, or now that a lot of training grounds have hotels, you or you know, or facilities where you can sleep. You basically sit there, and all you do is train, and you bond with your teammates, and you're, you know, you're single-minded and and focused. Um, not that many people do it anymore because they kind of realize that you know, players are professionals; they're adults. Treating people like that, it just ends up, you know, they get more wound up, they start fighting with each other, they, you know, it, it doesn't generally work. It just stresses them out. Um, but the other thing with Retiro is that, um, and this is the, the, the bad side of it, is that uh, it's a lot of clubs have used it kind of in a punitive way, right? So mm. they play badly, they get booed by the fans, and so the president comes out and says, oh, I'll show those lazy so-and-sos. You guys are going away, Retiro, for a week. And those were the circumstances, of course, that ultimately caused Ancelotti's job um, back in November. 
And certainly that seemed to be the reaction um, after this after this defeat. Now, they have walked it back a little bit, and I believe they have been allowed to go home, and it was more a case of Gattuso saying, yo, we need to get together and, mm. you know, and, and look at each other and, and ask ourselves, you know, what can I do to improve? And he's, he's trying to be a little more empathetic and touchy-feely. He does not want to come across as just the angry man. Um, but it's obvious just from a PR perspective, just kind of like the look that, you know, by doing this the first time, you know, you cast yourself your manager and, and probably your shot at finishing top four, and now you're doing it again with a different manager. And, you know, Gattuso's not a fool, which is why I think he, he walked it back, probably in accordance with the with the club. Yeah. Is Gattuso a good manager, uh, Gab? From what we've seen at Milan, I know it didn't work out, but generally things aren't working out there. And now he's in probably a tricky spot with a, a team in decline, but is he a good coach in your view? He's a good person. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a roundabout way of saying it. You know, look, he he is he is what he is. He's yeah. I think he tries to be like Ancelotti, and he is in terms of being a man manager. Ancelotti, he and Ancelotti were very very close. Um, but you know, the way he plays tends to be, and you saw this at Milan, tends to be kind of safety first chest beating and so on. Right. He's a very nice guy. He's a gentleman. Um, you know, he's not the angry guy that, you know, you, you might remember him uh, as a player when he was sort of Roy Keane-esque in many ways. No, he, certainly in, as, a, as a coach, he's he's a gentleman. Um, but I think, and then there is, there are people who think that he still should be coaching Milan because the results suggest that. But the reality is the performances of his teams, you know, haven't been as good. Uh, as, as the results have sometimes, you know, even, even at Milan, you know, they they overachieve in terms of results relative to performances. And so people look at him and they find his football pretty basic, pretty rudimentary. Um, and, you know, I, I think, like I wrote this at the time, I think they brought Gattuso in because they thought he'd be cheaper and they thought, oh, look, you know, we can save money now and get rid of Ancelotti and... You know, maybe this guy can rally the troops, and maybe he can't. But it doesn't really matter because you know we've already achieved our our. our we've got all the money we're going to get out of the Champions League this year, and it's better to try to go and qualify for next year's Champions League, which I know sounds kind of perverse, um, right. but you know that's. Those are the flawed economics of UEFA prize money. Yeah. I just want to say, I think Gab, JJ, just won the award for sweetest answer to a potentially harsh question. Yes, yes, he Is didn't. he a good manager? He's a good person. That was beautiful. I mean, you, you know what I mean. You know? Yeah, like, yes. He hasn't done anything, put it this way, in an era where people talk about innovative, fancy coaches and stuff like that, he's not that. Right. He's not a guy who's won things by hook or by crook. You know, he's not Mourinho, you know, packed with a devil, over the line type stuff. He's got no silverware. Um, as, as a player, obviously, he's got plenty. As, as a, I mean, as a player, he has, of course, he has plenty, you know, He's kind of like a guy, and he's a good guy, and he's a guy who, who's good at handling crisis situations and, and taking responsibility for others. You know, when Ospina made a, made a horrible mistake when they played Lazio two weeks ago and lost at home in insisting in playing off in the back, and, you know, he's like, guys, don't, don't blame the keeper, don't blame Ospina, that was my fault, because, you know, I told him to always try to play out from the back, and, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. He's the kind of guy that, you know, you want to go into battle with, but, you know, you kind of want him as like a best friend or a number two. You don't necessarily want him leading the troops. 
Gotcha. Well said. Well, we appreciated this very much, man. I enjoy these kind of like tours around Europe. It's fun. Uh, thanks so much for the time, Gab. Go Birds. We'll talk to you soon. There you go. It's my pleasure, boys. Anytime. All right. Thanks to Gab. That was pretty fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I like Gab's European tour. Yeah. Yeah. Your mom would do that, Yep. Huh? My mom would uh, would uh, be sent to Retiro. Yeah. Loch Derg. Um, she used to bring me to Knock. Uh, Knock is a place in County Mayo. Oh, okay. Where uh, the Virgin Mary appeared in, I think, 1820-something. Hmm. And well, I don't know if she appeared or not. The people there you've said... Heard, you've heard rumors. There was eyewitnesses. Yeah. And so it became a big Catholic shrine. And we used to do... Uh, we used to go and have mass. And then we do the decades of the rosary, where we'd say the rosary at different stations along the uh, the path of crucifixion, which was... This all sounds very intense. It was... It, for a young fella, it I, was really boring. It's, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I just wonder with Retiro... So I, I've been trying to grasp it. Is it... Like no fun is allowed to be had. It's just it's like a punishment. I, yeah, it, it is like a punishment. I think okay. you, I think you're like like Gab said. You're in kind of isolation. You just train. You're away from from the modern world and all its distractions. It feels very Henry David Thoreau. No, no Gucci bags. No iPhones. We're gonna go on Retiro to Walden Pond. Me and you should go on Retiro. Yeah. No fun would be had. You can be assured of that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We'll take a very quick break. We'll come back. A couple more things on the Premier League. I've got to mention Chicharito coming to MLS as well. Red cards, man of the match. Don't go anywhere. Back now on Caught Offside. What you don't see at home or realize through our break, <laughs> JJ continued to laugh at the thought of me on some sort of spiritual retiro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Andrew in... Um one of those kind of like like a onesie, like, like a like a Hari Krishna, yeah, like a like a Hari Krishna gown, sat like cross legged yeah. in a room with a glum expression on his face, and there's nothing in the room. Am I in? I'm, in this is hilarious to me. Am I at least in some sort of thought, or am I just an <laughs> empty shell? You're staring blankly, like you really don't want to be there. Oh, let's see now. Let's uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention about the Premier League from this weekend. JJ, we mentioned before about kind of the dreck after Liverpool. Um, <laughs> the rest of the league, yeah. I, honestly, after Liverpool, I, maybe that's a little bit unfair to Manchester City. But look at this weekend: Manchester City draw with Crystal Palace, Leicester lose to Burnley, Chelsea lose to Newcastle, Spurs draw with Watford, Arsenal draw with Sheffield United. Like now, look, some of those teams, like Sheffield United, has actually played well this season. It's a good team, yeah. Um, you know, Spur, uh, Palace have had their moments where they've been a solid team this season. Watford are in some kind of form right now. But, like, by and large, what has happened to, like, I remember, you know, we're only a couple years removed from, you know, I- I'm I'm monitoring Tottenham as a Tottenham fan. And I'm wondering, okay, is t- what's going to happen with top four? And weeks and weeks and weeks would go by where everyone would win. Tottenham would win the 7.30 a.m. game, and I'd pay attention to the games after. Everyone wins. It's the total opposite this year. Are Arsenal ever going to win again? Yeah, right. Um, Maybe this is finally the effects of the money, Andrew. Like, every team has got a few really, really good players. The whole team's not great, but they've got some quality, and it's possible for everybody to knock everybody else off, and plus what we said before about the decline in some of the superpowers. And now that's just what's happened. I'm sorry, though. (laughs) Like, I get what you're saying, but, like, there is just not... There's not enough money in Sheffield United for me to believe that they should be but as they're good a as well, they are. No, but they're a well-drilled dr- team. They have a certain uh, style of play. They've got an excellent manager who's, who's recruited really well on a budget. 
Well, you what know, about Newcastle? I look Newcastle, like Steve Bruce said, were not good to watch, but like Newcastle have made it really tough. Um, I, I, I can't remember which correspondent it was, but he's a northeastern football correspondent, and he tweeted, "I love this Newcastle team. Are they easy to watch? No, they're horrific to watch." But they make it hard for everybody else, and they try so hard. And they've got little game changers there, like uh, San Maxime and guys like that that can do things. Almiron, I guess that's what it is. You know, I'm I'm trying to find a reason for what you described as the direct, but I can't. I mean, I think it's I think it's kind of what I said earlier uh, in that I think it's just more like transitionally based, right? Like I don't know how much longer Manchester City. I'm not saying this is not me saying that Pep Guardiola is in his final year as Manchester City manager, but he is intense to play for, and there's a reason that he's not still at Barcelona or not still at Bayern Munich. Those teams they experienced extraordinary success, but oh, he's man. not still there. Imagine you, it, imagine you on 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 retreat on retiro with with Pep Guardiola. I shrivel up. Oh my God, he, he'd be too much. Yeah. You're you're right. I I believe City will. Because they are the most lavishly assembled football project in the history of the game. They will. Oh, PSG are going to give them a run for that. Well, yes, but lavish. There's a bit more. I feel like there's a bit more success to Manchester City. Hmm. Oh. Anyway, we'll see at the end of this Champions League. But I, I feel like they're going to reboot. I don't think the league's going to be the same as we've seen it next season as it is this season. Totally agree. I don't know what that means yet. I don't know how it's it, not going to look like. It can't. No, it, it just can't, can't it continue can't. to look like this. The one no. team that I walked away from this weekend. Uh, really kind of, I don't want to say feeling sorry for, but if you're a Leicester City fan today, oof. I mean, so you miss a penalty in a, in a game like this. But more than that, um, I've done this before, and I figured today is another day to do it. JJ, once again, I throw my hands up in the air at the mercy of the court and say, Your Honor, I have absolutely no effing clue what a handball is right. in this league. Because what Ben Mee did uh, in that game for Burnley is a handball to me. I, I like he makes himself bigger with the use of his arm to try and stop a ball from making its way to the net, and how we live in a VAR world where VAR's not even going to look at that. Like as someone like myself who supports VAR, like that's what it's there for is moments like that. Why are they not looking at that play? I, I you lose by one goal in a season where you know Leicester City we think so highly of, but top four it's not a given yet. We think they'll do it, but it's not a given. Like moments like that are are important, and you have something in play that could help make it right. And like, you're watching it all the time. But that aside, let's 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 try and figure out how you know Burnley have been wretched for a month, and they beat Leicester. That's their yeah. comeback and scored the second goal. The winner was an excellent. They goal. They came back to do it down a goal. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's I, madness. I, I, I would say one thing. I did watch the end of Arsenal and Sheffield United. Arsenal were out on their feet. This new style of play is going to take time to adjust to. Sheffield United are very good. Flex scored a lovely goal. Volley into the ground that just whipped up and went into the top corner. And Southampton, one one quick note on them because yeah. we were ringing their praises last week. Um, surrendering a two-goal lead against Wolves. They lose 3-2. Wolves are a good side. Very frustrating and disappointing for Ralph Hassan-Hootl. Very disappointing when you put it in the context of... 42 points lost since the start of last season from a winning position. Since the start of last season? Yes. That's unbelievable. That's, That's a massive number. It's a huge number. It's a, a it's a number that can put you in the European places. It's a season-changing number, and it, it, it really speaks to the conundrum of Southampton. If they're not scoring goals or struggling, or they were struggling to score goal, goals prior to this, and you're, doing, you're giving up leads... 
you have no hope, yeah. no chance. And yeah. um, I wanted to say one thing about Watford real quick. Like, if we're going to make fun of Nigel Pearson for his ostrich thing, then we've got to give him credit when he's doing well. Sergeant Pearson's. I just want to read you a sentence here. This is from the BBC. Watford had won one of 16 games this season under two managers before Pearson took charge, claiming a paltry nine points from a possible 48. Under Pearson, they've taken 13 points from a possible 18. Look. What is happening? (laughs) There is a theory out there. It's one that's advanced by John Nicholson that the old school coach may be set for a, a revival. The coach who... And when I say old school, I don't mean tactically. I mean, he's a disciplinarian, but he also is a warm person. So when you go out and you fight hard for the team... Not to the media. No. But... You for, can't. I can. You see, the problem is we're, we're dealing with them off that. We're dealing with them off a poor time at Derby County. And we're dealing with them from the fact that we, we know a story that Craig Burley told us where he cha- chased Dimitri Karin down the tunnel at Sanford Bridge. Right. So we have a view of him and also his haircut. I mean, Sergeant Major haircut. Says he would have been in the Air Force had he not played football. But apparently he can put the arm around the shoulder, tell you it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's working. Yeah, he's brought Troy Deeney back into being a regular first-teamer. Deeney missed a penalty. Um, you know, it's one of it's those things. It's a good save. It, it was a good save, but it's also. I think it also goes to show the the importance of scouting. Like they showed right before Deeney took it, they showed his chart of like where he's taken his last yeah. five penalties and made a miss. And as I'm looking at him saying, Gazaniga better be diving the way that he wound up diving. And sure enough, Deeney put it like exactly where he's put four of his previous five, and it's just... And that's, you know. that's you know, that is straight from the training ground. The goalkeeper's prayer for their pre-match preparation will have gone, look, if it's a penalty, it'll be Deeney if he's on the field, or it'll be De La Feo if he's not, or whoever, and you go left, you go right on both. It's, it's just being prepared. Yeah. Um, one other thing, JJ, I wanted to mention here, coming back to the United States oh. and MLS, Chicharito, this is one of those moves that I feel like has been talked about for years, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for it to happen, and now it has. He's coming to MLS, specifically Carson, California, LA Galaxy. It's an MLS record $10 million transfer fee. It's a three-year contract. Uh, he's going to be getting $6 million a year, also a fourth-year option, possibility of another $1.5 million mm. in bonuses, which could put him above Zlatan as the highest-paid MLS player of all time. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not overly enthused about this move. Okay. Um, and it's not because I don't think he was a good player. I, I think he was. I think the time to move was when he made the move to West Ham from Leverkusen. I think that was the time for, for him to, to come to America. Um, in, in, in what sense? In the like, sense in- that, um, in the sense that we, the league would be getting the best of him. And I think that now he's somewhat in decline. He, He's only scored, what, one league goal this season, this term. Uh, Kevin Baxter was writing in the LA Times. He said, Hernandez hasn't scored more than eight goals in a season since leaving Germany and Bayer Leverkusen in 2017. I mean, so so the things that Chicha is good at is goal scoring, right? Well, is he anymore? Now, the argument to me would be, well, look at what you always go on about. The MLS defending is not at the same level as European defending. Okay, granted, but it feels like this is just a little bit too late. I think if he's coming at 28, 27, 28, but then he's not making that move. I mean, look, 
we could have been saying this about David Villa. We could have been saying this about Zlatan. We could have been saying this about. But do you think that David Villa was in the same kind of decline? I think David Villa was was was. No, he was still coming off of coveted by other clubs yeah, too. He, he could have that to fight he, to get. He him. could have gone to another good club. I know. I, yeah, I, I'm sure that that is true. Javinko came at the right time. He was 26. Well, he was. Yeah, he was truly in his prime. Chicharito's 31. Um, no, I, you... I'm going to go on record right now and say, while what you're saying is true, we're not getting him in his prime. His work rate, uh, I, I believe that I believe we are in for a very good MLS stay from this player. Okay, and and also, Robbie Keane came and lit the league up at a similar age, so maybe a little bit older. So maybe I'm. And the other side to it, as Kevin Baxter points out, uh, Hernandez has a chance to do what even Beckham and Ibrahimovic could not do by making the Galaxy relevant to the more than six million Mexican Americans who live in Southern California. Well, especially now when the when LAFC like this, their centerpiece is Carlos Vela. Like this was yeah. this was an important it, it was important for LA for the Galaxy to go out and not just get a good player to replace Laton, but one that the fans will immediately take to. And there's there's a large population there that will like love and, this. and I know. And have been around, I've been lucky to be around a lot of Mexican-Americans and Mexican football fans in my stay in the States. And I I don't like the idea that, you know, they're simply going to be pandered to by throwing them a Mexican player. But he is a Mexican superstar. They are going to love the fact that they've got two of their, their superstars playing in the one city. But, you know, I mean, you can call it pandering, but he's going to move the needle in a way that Steven Gerrard would never do for them. They have a bro- they have a broad palette of tastes as as soccer fans, you know. It's not just Liga Mekis. They wa- my Mexican friends. They watch everything, everything. If there's a, a a football game on, they're watching it, and so um, it's not like they were definitely you know energized by Zlatan. It doesn't have to be a Mexican player, but the fact that it is someone of his standing is surely going to be a big reason for them to. I, I suppose it's a move in in terms of the LA Galaxy. They were afraid of their thunder being stolen entirely in that town by by LAFC. Yeah, I mean, it'll be hard for that to ever happen entirely. I mean, the Galaxy have their own heritage feel, franchise. Yeah, but, but did you not feel there was like an energy and there yes, was a, a, 100%. a verve behind LAFC? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, let's see, you have a mailbag? I have a mailbag. We'll start off on the Instagrams, Andrew. Caught offside ESPN is where you can reach us there. Uh, this is from T Pasco twenty seven. Why is it that there seems to be a merry go round of the same managers being hired and fired in the top five European leagues? In American football, it seems that teams are willing to promote from either within their own club or from another, i.e., offensive coordinator being promoted to head coach. Could it be that the assistant coaches of soccer teams don't play as an important role compared to American football teams? Thanks. Well, on a basic role, that's not true. Assistant managers, it's usually a first-team coach is your assistant manager, and he will take the trainings, the sessions. He is a huge part of what goes on. Um, it is fairly common for the assistant manager, if he's well-liked, to then be promoted to the manager managerial job. But mm-hmm. in terms of like the Ancelotti's ending up at Everton from going from Napoli, these guys that always seem to have a job, you know, Conte, it's because they're winners and big money clubs. Not all the time. Steve Bruce, Sam Allardyce, Alan Pardew. That's like, an, th- this is this is what the guy's talking about. Yeah, well, 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 what are they? They're fixers. They come in. They will give you a certain brand of football. They've also got connections in the game. They're seen as being 
you know, they know the Premier League, they're English speaking, and they just seem to get jobs. And part of the reason they do get jobs is, A, they do have a success rate in keeping teams up to a certain extent, and B, they are known. They are known by the people who make the decisions at football clubs. Yeah, I, I get his point though. Like you do feel like there's sometimes, like there's. I guess what you're the word you haven't used, but you're kind of dancing around is safe. Like these are kind of safe. They're seen as that, whether it's true right. or not. I would argue that maybe, you know, um, they're not going to do anything crazy. Uh, but by the same token, you know, you're not you're not going to experience overwhelming success. They just kind of. They're safe. Like David like in the NFL, is, you see this wave of new young coaches with new ideas like that. We went through a period of time in the NFL where it was all about recycling similar names, right. but like that's over with. It's all about finding the next new idea, the next like you know Sean McVay. Everyone talks about right. right. There's know, not as many Bill Parcells going around as there used to be. I mean, right. Parcells so I, went everywhere. Right. So there's times when you you know maybe you wish teams would take more of a, a risk in the Premier League, but I don't know. I think you do. I think you do see that too. So yeah, and you, a little of both. I think yeah, in the, all over the place. I think in Europe you definitely see it more. I would argue that in France and Germany you see the promotion of of like look at Nagelsmann who was a child. Mm-hmm. He's younger than both of us. Managing, he's managed two Bundesliga teams now in in the last few years. So yeah, uh, Brains Trust Brewery. This is pretty funny. So we got this message. I'm at home with the kids today while my wife is at work. My sons learned a hard lesson about love, specifically loving Tottenham. He sends me a screen grab of the conversation with his wife. So his wife texts. He sent you the screen grab? Yeah, he sent it to me. So his wife texts him, um, brain trust, whatever your name is. So he texts, uh, she texts and goes, how are the boys? Asking about the kids. He he replies, it's tied with 83 minutes on the clock. They haven't been playing great second half. So this is clearly going to ruffle some feathers. So uh, the reply from the wife is so uneducational TV right off the bat. And he goes, emotional education. Being a Spurs fan means you have to learn heartbreak. Let me see them, which I can only presume is to let me see the boys. Take a picture, send it to the boy. He sends a picture of the TV he's watching with Spurs and Watford on the TV screen. Yeah. And the reply is, stop, I'm going to quit work just so I can come home and hit you. <laughs> Look, that's on her. Her use of pronouns there made it very confusing. I thought the same thing. I thought she wanted to see a picture of, of Tottenham. Our next uh, message is again on the Instagrams, uh, Andrew, and this probably uh, it probably hints towards a revival on this podcast of a, of a segment I want to bring back. Um, so this is from Old MacDonald underscore thirteen. Yo, for the two of you, mostly JJ. Although I think this is for everyone. You've probably been you've probably already seen this, but Amazon Prime is a great documentary on Liverpool, specifically focusing on Stephen Gerrard's time with the club and the effect he had on the club and community. I'm not from Liverpool, nor do I support them, but I love Gerrard, and this movie does a great job showing the viewer how much he means to that city and how much football has meant to the man. Give it a look, and thanks for the great content as always, Dane. By the way, it's called Make Us Dream, says Dane. Now I've mentioned this before. It's one of the best documentaries of this type not because it's Steven Gerrard but because there's a level of honesty in it that you just don't get with the other ones you get a lot of like kind of heroic montages but they Steven Gerrard paints the picture of being a professional footballer with the weight of a city on your back it should be entitled Make a Stream but it could also be entitled um, Professional Footballer Who's Really Good has many 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 days when he doesn't like being a professional footballer. That's a catchy title. 
They should have gone with that. Yeah, seriously. But it, it's really. I've re- seen it on on. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. Because I've seen it up as like, you know, they list like other things you might like. Right. I've seen it on there. I've resisted, but maybe, maybe I'll give in. There were many days where the pressure of of being a footballer and the injuries and everything. Steven Gerrard was not a happy guy. For that, ma- is, that is just one of those things. I know they're human beings. Uh, it's just one of those things that's hard for a, a normal fan to relate to. Yeah. Because we just see what they're doing and we see the money they're making. And it's just hard for us to put ourselves in their mind in, in those like – like you see it here in the United States with Kyrie Irving. People say all the time that like he's just not a happy guy. And you just wonder, but you're great and you're rich and you're like – fans can't relate. Ky- I watched Kyrie the other night. Um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I'm live. It was, it was a joy. He's one of those players I would pay to to, to, wow. go, to go and watch. High praise. Definitely. Um, banning heading. So this is from Greg Hapke. Hope this email finds you both well. This has been mentioned a few times on the pod. And when I saw this, I had to forward this on. So it's a link from The Guardian. Andrew, we're moving forward. In this country, it's uh, banned from, uh, is it U14 or U12 US soccer? I believe it's 12. Yeah. Uh, a move towards banning children from heading balls in Scotland because of the links between football and dementia have been welcomed as a positive step by the campaigner Don Astle, who has urged other governing bodies to follow its lead. Don Astle, of course, the daughter of Jeff Astle, whose body was exhumed for medical tests after he died. He had dementia and his brain had shown signs of um, CTE. The Scottish Football Association is finalising its plans, but it is understood that it wants to lead the way on the issue. The BBC... The BBC says that a ban on children under the age of 12 from heading could be introduced within weeks. The United States has had similar restrictions in place since 2015, but Scotland will be the first European country to impose such a policy. Which I find, I, the science is there. We see changes and um, rule changes in the way coaching is done at Pop Warner level in, in American football, and, and soccer is following suit. We're, yeah. we're, the science is telling us things and we have to act. Yeah. And that is the mailbag. There you go. We'll get to uh, a very quick what to watch for in a sec. There's some midweek EPL action that I know people are interested in. But first, I believe you have something that you want to you want to talk to us about. Happy New Year, Andrew. Can I still say that? I don't know. There was a whole episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm last night where it seems it's too late. Well, it's a new year. And Happy New Year. Okay. And you want to keep your team growing. But you need the right tools to help keep your hiring streamlined and efficient. Andrew, this is where ZipRecruiter... Dot com slash offside comes in. Uh-huh. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employ- of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Hmm. Those are amazing numbers. I, I mean, I, I'm stunned by these numbers. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. O-F-F-S-I-D-E. There's no S on the end of it, Andrew. Yeah. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Four out of five. That's... Ugh. I mean, I was, re- I was reading it. I was nearly going to throw it in the bin, stop the read. Those numbers are too good from ZipRecruiter. So what are you going to create a small business just so you can then use ZipRecruiter to hire employees? If I can have that level of success, I think it's worth it. Uh, what to watch for quickly. EPL, there's midweek. 
this week to talk about. Tuesday, 3.15, Chelsea and Arsenal, two teams in need of a win. London Derby. Yep. Uh, Wednesday, 2.30, Leicester City and West Ham. Uh, I put this down here. We talked a little bit about Leicester before, but I know you've been very into what's been happening with West Ham and their fan base. Yep, they're protesting again. This time, they're not doing it on the field. We don't have people making incursions onto the hallowed turf at the London Stadium, but um, there was a protest at the weekend organized by fans group Hammers United, and it coincides with uh, uh, Sullivan and Gold's 10-year anniversary when they took over the club. Uh, The group are unhappy about the club's current position, two places and one point above the relegation zone. I get that, but it's, 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 you know, most fans wouldn't be happy with that, but it's larger. They say there were made promises surrounding West Ham's controversial move out of Upton Park in 2016, which have not been kept. Uh, they're worried about the money that the owners are taking out of the club. They're worried about the way they've spent hundreds of millions, and it's just not um, showing any sign on the field that they've done so. And also, I guess, since they've moved, they believe that the sense of community and togetherness around the club has dissipated. This is a situation rivaled, I would say, maybe only by Newcastle, where you have a fan base and an ownership group that are truly not on the same page. Like, that happens a lot, where the, where an owner's interest and a fan's interest don't align. But I think it's it's a much more profound uh, way that that's, trend, that that's kind of taken form with this club. This was a fan base that had no interest in leaving their stadium and it's an ownership group that had a lot of interest in going into a bigger stadium Correct. where they can make more money into a different part of town like this is they, this fan base has just not been happy since they left the bowling ground their statement said the sacrifice that we made was made on the understanding that more a lot more would be forthcoming than just the survival of the club they really saw the move to the london stadium as a move towards competing for top four not Who's, who thought that the West ownership Ham, or the fans? West Ham fans. That's what they were sold. They were told. We well, that ha- would be the only thing that would have gotten them on board with a we, move we, like that. Because that, they, that was the point. The yeah. sacrifice was leaving their their community. Right. I I said this though that it was such a unique place that they played at. It was going to be you 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 weren't going to be able to replicate it at the London Stadium. So they better win, and they haven't won. No. No, they have not. Uh, let's see. Oh, also Thursday. Uh, so you get Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday action midweek. Three o'clock, Wolves and Liverpool. Uh, I put this down here mainly because it seems like we're running out of chances for Liverpool to lose a game, and this would be on people's lists as a possible spot now, where it could happen. Wolves have some significant injury worries that they're dealing with. Uh, they've also got a manager who we're, we're hearing is upset with the resources or the money he's been given to, to bolster the squad, hmm. which seems... Pretty remarkable to me, considering the way this club has come to prominence. I won't go over it again. Will I? I won't. I won't do it again. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, it's interesting. Um, Wolves Wolves away is a, is a tough game. Well, he probably feels that way because he wants to go on and win the Europa League. Probably. Like that, that's probably a thing he, that he thinks that is, is on the table for them if he's given what he wants. And he doesn't think he can do it with that level of squad. He's probably, probably right. right, yeah. Uh, let's see, it's an FA Cup weekend. Today's only Monday, so I won't go too deeply into it, but just to put it on your radar, Saturday, 10 a.m., Southampton and Tottenham. That's a tricky one for Spurs to get at this point where they're just not playing well, going on the road in the fourth round against, uh, even though they lost an informed Premier League team, I'm I'm worried. Maybe that's just my own insecurities, but I I'm, know. I'm worried. And you've lost there already very recently over Christmas, but still, Andrew, uh, come on. It's a loss. such a it's lowering a loss. of expectations. Well, that's what I'm about. Lowered but, expectations. Why would you 
releasing that when we've got the drop? Because I can't find it. Uh, let's see. Sunday, 8 a.m., Manchester City and Fulham. Uh, and then Sunday at noon, Shrewsbury Town. Shrewsbury Town, yeah. Liverpool. Play the kids. Interesting. I, I genuinely, Michael Kelly pointed out on, on Twitter, and I, I would concur with him. He, he needs to. I love telling Jurgen Klopp what his job is. Yeah, tell him what to do yeah. so he can do the job better. Right, JJ. rotation is going to be key uh, for for this team because they they definitely looked a bit gassed uh, towards the end of that game. Yeah. Although, and you'll have been you'll have just played on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, against Wolves as well, so I think it's almost it's essential. That's literally what is going to happen in that game, and you'll win because that's the way things work. Red card. Can I go first here? Mine's quick. Um, Finn Tap. That's a person's name, in case you were wondering. This was put on my radar by a buddy of mine, Dan Berenson. He texted me this story. Uh, the Oxford City defender recently appeared on the show Love Island down in South Africa. Oh, no. Okay, that's cool. That's the first step towards being an uh, ex-professional. Well, he, he appeared on the show, uh, but he forgot to do one thing. Tell his team. <laughs> Oxford City FC tweeted this. By the way, this is not Oxford United. This is Oxford City. Who are, so they'd be non-league. They're in the sixth here. He'd still be getting paid, though. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's, I guess, more of like a semi-pro. Semi-pro, yeah. yeah. Uh, the club tweeted, the club was not aware FinTap was going on Love Island. This is normal protocol for all contestants. We understand and wish Finn luck on the show. By the way, that can't be true. Everyone who's on that show just left. Didn't tell anyone, their employers. They just left. No, I'm sorry. I'm not buying it. I will say fair play to the club, though, because they seem to be taking this all in stride. Uh, they tweeted, here's Finn Tapp scoring the winner two weeks ago against league leaders Weldstone. But will he score on at Love Island? See what I mean? <laughs> it's just an opportunity for promotion of Oxford yeah. City. Now, there's a chance that Tapp... So so basically, he didn't tell his team. He was on the team sheet and then never showed up because he was in South Africa oh, on Love that's Island. that's bad. Uh, there's a chance he wouldn't be able to play anyway after he was stretchered off in the previous game following a clash of heads. Um, interesting that he then immediately got on like a 10-hour flight <laughs> to fly down to this show. Yeah, uh, Oxford City FC, like I said, the sixth tier of English football. In fact, on his on his Love Island bio, if you click like on the show's webpage, he doesn't even list soccer as his primary <laughs> occupation. He put down a being a quote recruitment consultant. So clearly, whatever he's twenty years old. Uh, I don't know what his future is, but he doesn't seem to think his future is. Oh in this man, world. could you imagine how Roy Keane get upset with him? Don't even care about the game. Going on Love Island. Prioritizing love over football. You're mad. <laughs> Who's that? That's my Roy Keane. Um, by the way, Clash yeah. of Heads or Clash of Hearts on Love Island. Well, that's what he's going for. So that's your red card. What do you have? Um, oh, right. Okay. Brace yourselves. Oh. This is from Bleacher Report, who picked up a story that um, quite a few people saw on Twitter. Former Real Madrid fullback Raul Bravo has reportedly been accused of hiring a hitman to make an attempt on his former teammate Darko Kovacevic. Spanish football writer Colin Miller reported the news on Twitter, so he tweeted it out. According to Serbian outlet Telegraph, Bravo allegedly masterminded the attempt on Kovacevic, whom he played with at Olympiacos. Uh, this is per Tania. In early January, January, Kovacevic was ambushed near his home in Athens by two men. None of the bullets hit, but the 46-year-old injured himself while trying to avoid the gunfire. Greek police reportedly found a burnt-out vehicle that may have been used in the attack. Again, this is per Tania. In May, Serva Media 
reported Bravo was among those arrested in a match-fixing scandal and was allegedly the ringleader. Shortly after, El Mundo reported that he was involved in an attempt to threaten Huesca president Agustin La Sosa over €100,000. The 38-year-old won two La Liga titles and a UEFA Champions League with Real Madrid and also spent time with Leeds United. Hmm. What? Sounds like a good guy. I remember him. Yeah. No, he's only 38. I can't believe it. Wow. I would never, if I ever take... What are you about to say? What horrifying thing are you about to say about me? I'd never take out a hit on you. (laughs) Caught Offside's Man of the Match. Let's see, JJ. We talked a little about uh, Gio Reyna earlier. I'm going to put another American on your radar if he's not already. Indiana Vasilev. Such a cool American name. Kind of. He's actually American-Bulgarian. In a week where we're talking about Gio Reyna, here's another up-and-coming American that I want to talk about. 18-year-old from Savannah, Georgia. He was subbed on for Aston Villa in the 67th minute over the weekend against Brighton, making his Premier League debut. Finished the game with seven touches, three for four in passing. Uh, Bulgarian-American, he's featured for the U.S. under-20s. Back in 2017, he was on the under-20 World Cup team. So there you go. You now have a reason to keep tabs on Aston Villa, American fans out there. Yeah, it's it's great. There you go. Yeah, uh, strengthening the American interest in the club. I tell you something. He has to be named after Indiana Jones, right? I don't know. Maybe after the state of Indiana, he could have been born there. But he's born in Savannah, Georgia. But there may be some link. A love of cinema <laughs> by his parents. <laughs> okay, you're going to go with that one. I, I looked up his Wikipedia uh, profile. It doesn't make any mention of Indiana Jones, but I'm convinced that that's, that has to be. And you will be editing it later. You will be making a submission. <laughs> that's right. Um, but no, that's, I think that's great. Get as many Americans playing and appearing. Now, he's, he had already made appearances for in them the cup. In, in cups. Uh, but you know, getting on as an 18-year-old in a Premier League game is a little bit different. Um, a game that matter, like these games matter for Aston Villa. They can't. Get what a relegated. goal by Jack Grealish, by the way. Yeah, and by the way, technically Vasilev was kind of part of it. He made a run. Oh, he wanted it in the channel, and he didn't get it. Yeah. Well, okay, you could also. He ran away that. from the ball essentially. <laughs> he was making a run that opened play up to aid in a goal. He you really should have given an assist, quite frankly. You can add that to his Wikipedia. It's already done. <laughs> By the way, with all the young players that Ireland have coming through at the moment and all the young players that the US have coming through at the moment, I look forward to the World Cup in 2026 when we play each other. In Could the fi- be a semi-final, in the as final. long as Jurgen Klinsmann is brought back. Yeah, that's right. Make it happen. Um, my man of the match is, um, well, it's his second time being my man of the match. First was for his work with the homeless in Manchester, and now it's Vincent Company for his... Well, I'm not quite sure, but he he tried to scold his own fan base, which is brave. Uh, The Daily Mail reports, Vincent Company shouted at his own fans for throwing a flare at fellow Belgian international Simon Mignolet on Sunday. The Anderlecht supporters threw the pyrotechnic as the former Liverpool goalkeeper was about to take a goal kick. Mignolet was shocked and was seen covering his eyes as the flare began to spark in front of him. Company ran over to the home fans in disgust and was seen lecturing them in defence of the club Bruges keeper. The former Manchester City captain walked over to Mignolet to console him and asked the fans to support a fellow Belgian. It, it, you That's, mean, yeah. The video is on Twitter, so they throw the flare on, and he is angry. He's shouting up at the stands, pointing at the Anderlecht crest as if, mm. we're Anderlecht, we don't throw flares, how dare you? And then he, he kind of puts his arm around Mignolet and points at him and says, he's Belgian, he's Belgian, like, support your Belgians. Yeah. 
That's If it was a Croatian It was fine He followed up Throw them at Croatians Just not Belgium He did not say that This I'm was joking. minor Minor shoehorning by you This feels more like a red card Than it would have been A man of the match No I think it's great That he's uh, he's, he's fronted he up Did an obvious thing And like Scolded fans For doing something Objectionable Who Come on You're better than that By the way I'm on a uh, A Reddit page right now For Vasilev It's titled Bulgarian American Indiana Vasilev In parentheses Named after Indiana Jones Made his official debut For Aston (laughs) Villa I swear to God Look at it I'm looking at it right here Well if it's on Reddit It must be true It has to be true It has to be true Well hey this was fun man Um, Lots of midweek action So everybody can sink Their teeth into that FA Cup action Over the weekend Um, I enjoyed this I enjoyed this greatly I'll be tuned in Every step of the way over the next uh, next few days watching the action. You're off today, right? This is a holiday here in this country, so you're going home. Oh, I'm 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 in here for the long haul. We might do another podcast after <laughs> really? this. Really? Okay. We don't have one planned. So. No, no, not right now. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 